Okay, so we are on, this is the anniversary of our putting our Sunday School lessons on the internet. So we're starting the book of Philippians and Colossians for the fall quarter. And uh, our first lesson in Philippians is Paul's love for the Philippians. That's going to be Philippians chapters chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So, Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this epistle, which is directly to us in the church. And we pray that um, it's an epistle about joy. And so we pray that we will be able to have joy as you intended. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, yeah, joy is uh, the fruit of the Spirit, one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. So this is one of Paul's prison epistles. It was during his first confinement in Rome. The date is around A.D. 61 or 62. He, uh, he is writing to a church that he planted roughly 10 years before. So he's thanking the Philippians for material support, and that was brought by Epaphroditus. That was the reason for his writing. And the concept of joy is prominent in the letter. In Christ, joy can be had regardless of circumstance. So this is a very good book for us because it tells us how to have joy. And it tells us to joy in adversity. Regardless of circumstance. The first section is entitled Paul's Greeting. And it's chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. You know, there's one thing about when you go to the... We go back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament. When we're in the Old Testament, we're reading like 35 chapters at once. <laughs> when we're in the New Testament, we're reading two verses, you know, two, five verses at a time. So, so it'll be more leisurely pace than we had last uh, quarter. So anyway... Paul's greeting, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this greeting is from both Paul and Timothy. Timothy, as we know, Paul picked up in Acts, uh, it was Acts 16. Timothy later became a pastor of the Ephesian church. Scripture contains two letters from Paul to Timothy. And uh, by the way, the historical account of the planting of the Philippian church is in Acts 16, 9 through 40. If you're interested in reading that. And that's where Paul preached at the riverside, and Lydia was converted. Remember, she was the seller, the seller of purple fabric from Thyatira, and also the Philippian jailer was converted because of Paul was imprisoned, and Silas, and an earthquake occurred, and all the doors were open, 
the Philippian jailer was going to kill himself because he thought everybody got out. Paul said, don't do that. We're still, we're still here. <laughs> and something about that episode prompted the Philippian jailer to ask, how do I become saved? Then Paul, exactly. Yeah. Enter. Yeah, and you remember their answer. The answer, how do I become saved, is so simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yeah, it's pistuo is the Greek verb for faith, to believe. And that is what is used in that passage. So let's see. So this is to all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi. So how do you become in Christ? You know, when Paul said, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Paul uses that phrase over and over and over and again. In Christ Jesus. When you're in Christ Jesus, that is where you are safe. So how do you become in Christ Jesus? Paul told the Philippian jailer how. And this is how I learned it. Yeah. So verse John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Yeah, that is how you become in Christ. And once you are in Christ, you cannot get out, thankfully. And then also, Romans 8, verse 9 See, when you're going over two verses in a lesson, you have to work it. You have to work it over. So Romans 8 verse 9, again, this is how to be in Christ. Romans 8 verse 9 says, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He's speaking to the Roman believers. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So if you have not trusted in Christ, you do not have the Spirit of Christ, and you are not in Christ. You know, if you're in Christ, you, by definition, have the Spirit of Christ living within you. So what are the benefits to being in Christ? Eternal life, forgiveness of sins. Good. Okay, you have the ability to do that, don't you? It's a good thing. Yeah, you have the you have the power to do that, you know, and uh, that is part of our sanctification process. That is part of the learning process, growing in Christ. He sees Jesus. He, yeah, God looks at us, he sees Jesus, and the law has been fulfilled in him. And the penalty for us has been paid in him. So here's something else we have when we're in Christ. This is Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have peace. With God, if you do not, if you're not in Christ, you are, uh, John 3, I don't remember the verse says that the wrath of God rests upon you. 
the unbeliever. What a horrible thing to think about, <laughs> that the wrath of God is resting upon you. Yeah, so when you're in Christ, that is no longer the case. You have peace with God. And uh, so mentioning the, Paul mentioned the overseers, who are the elders, and the deacons specifically. And uh, I looked at a couple of commentaries. I think that the... Uh, but they, they mentioned that, you know, the reason for this letter was a financial gift to Paul brought to him by Epaphroditus, which they said, you know, that the role of the deacons in the church, we learned that from Acts chapter 6, was to, you know, feed at that time to feed the widows and you know distribute support and then the the uh, i think this is Thomas Constable I read this from and the elders would have had to approve it so it would have had it was a missionary gift and uh, Paul was gifted by the Philippian church i think three times altogether even though they were very poor and so the, this letter Paul is very affectionate toward them because in their poverty they were supporting him, and, uh, you know, he appreciated it. So you become in Christ by belief alone. When you believe, the Holy Spirit indwells you eternally. And so this cascade of events that Paul talks about in Romans 8, you get to the process of justification. So this cascade of things which happened began in eternity past for each one of us. Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. So when he foreknew your choice, he predestined that you would eventually be conformed to the image of Jesus, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren these whom he predestined, he called. That's when you heard about Christ. That's the call. You, you hear. The Lord arranged that for you, for each one of us. And these whom he called, he also justified. That's when you believed. When you believe, you are now in Christ. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. For us, that's in the future and yet it is spoken of as in the past because it is so certain that we will be glorified. What it skips there is the sanctification part, which is the part that depends upon our submission to the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so we are sure of future glorification, and it has absolutely nothing to do with our performance. Isn't that wonderful? Nothing to do with our performance whatsoever. Yeah, most of our life as a Christian, well, all of our life as a Christian, is learning how to follow Jesus. And not everyone does that as well as everyone else. Another thing that happens when we believe is First John 5, 5, who is the one who overcomes the world? 
So we are overcomers of the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah. So being an overcomer is simply being justified. Um, most of our life as Christians is learning and growing. As as we, a lot, you know, the epistles are, you know, they tell us what we have. They tell us how we got it. And then they tell us how to act like what we are. We are children of God. And the epistles tell us how that should look. And as we submit the Holy Spirit, in, it does at different times, and every person will bring something to light. Uh, I should probably stop doing this. The Holy Spirit convicts you of a certain thing. Or perhaps I should start doing this. So it convicts you of not doing something that you should be. And that is growth. When you submit to that, we have the ability to resist that conviction as Christians. And that stunts our growth. So, um, But we have sure glorification on the horizon. And that is exciting. So this letter is written to those who believe and have the Holy Spirit empowering them. And then about the overseers and deacons again, Acts 6, 1 through 3. Acts, Acts uh, 6. Yeah, introduces deacons. Right, that introduces the office of deacon in the church, because Paul mentions deacons specifically in this letter. It says, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. So those are the Jews that were outside of the land and spoke Greek. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. So that was the introduction of the office of deacon, and it was to, you know, help the congregation, basically. You know, specifically in this instance, they were distributing food to the poor widows, and there was an imbalance. They were favoring the Hebrew-speaking widows over the Greek-speaking widows, and they they were complaining about that, and so they're trying to fix it. And so they that's where that started. And you know, deacons are, you know, helpers in the church. Deacon is servant. And so basically their their qualifications are the same as an elder, which is a mature Christian, with the exception of teaching. Elders teach, deacons do not teach. Other than that, it's the same. Yeah, but the elders, the apostles in this case, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the deacon's office was created in order to free up the apostles to study the Bible and to preach it. So 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 gives the qualifications for elders or overseers. I'm really working these two verses, aren't I? <laughs> First Timothy three, 
verses 1 through 7. This is the qualifications, this is the requirements for elders. It is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So that's the requirements for an elder. Requirements for the deacon are the same except for teaching. And uh, I do believe that deacons can also be women, and I believe that because of this passage, 1 Timothy 3.11. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. And that's written in the passage for deacons. Above it says deacons must be the husband of one wife. So I personally, I believe because of this passage and because of passage in Romans where Phoebe is addressed as the servant or, de you know, would be deaconess of the church in Kenkria, I do believe that the office of deacon is open to women. Yeah. So verse 2, he says, grace and grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So grace and peace. We are saved by grace. Remind me what grace is again. We say this, we go through this at the end, beginning of every letter. Huh? What is grace? No, it's okay. Grace is unmerited favor. So you, you the, the Lord gives you things favors you when you do not deserve it. That That is grace. You do not deserve it. Yeah, he gives you good things. You do not deserve it. And our salvation, we do not deserve. He gives it to us anyway because he loves us. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. You know, he planned it that way because God is awesome, holy, perfect, omniscient, and yet he's humble. Jesus washed, Jesus who was God, washed dirty feet. That's very humble. You know, and God hates pride, which is the devil's sin. And so the way of salvation, you know, uh, people all the time want to say, oh, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do something else, you know. If you have to do something to get saved, then you can boast about it, can't yeah. you? Yeah, exactly. No, he, he taught a different way. He's, he's training up servant kings right now. That is what we're training to be, servant kings. 
Yeah, that's interesting. What is a priest? Someone who makes sacrifices. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the priest represents the people to God. The priest represents the people to God. Um, and so, so inter when we intercede in prayer, especially for unbelievers, we're being a priest because we are representing people to God through our access to him. So our only contribution is not a work. It is to trust in Jesus. And peace comes after that. Peace with God comes. And the, uh, that peace is palpable in my case. Yeah, presenting your body is an act of discipleship. And so, because the Lord calls us into discipleship, you know, but first he'll save us. <laughs> and the saving is free. Discipleship will cost you. But you'll get back more as a return. So this is from the quarterly. The brevity of a salutation in some of Paul's letters often indicates his displeasure with his readers, such as with the Galatians, while his affection for the Philippians is clearly evident throughout his longer salutation to them. So Paul was very affectionate toward the Philippians. And that is the end of the first two verses. We're really moving. <laughs> yes, God's riches at Christ's expense. Yeah. Yeah, people talk about, uh, some people use the phrase easy believism. You know, those are the Lordship Salvation people who do that. And uh, say, you know, you got to work. You got to work, you know. Um, salvation is extremely expensive. Extremely expensive, but we don't pay for it. Jesus paid for it. Yes, Jesus paid for it. I mean, it's unmeasurable how much it cost. But for us, it's free. And it's free for every single person who are, is willing to receive the gift. All you have to do is be, the gift is there in front of every single person on earth. All they have to do is say, yes, please, <laughs> and take it. You know, it's, what's so crazy is that people refuse to take it. That is craziness. But once you, bombarded, you have it. Once you take it, you have it. Section B. Yeah, that's the growth. That's the growth. You know what we what we don't we frequently don't realize is that when we are saved, we have the power to to obey the commands. We have the power to obey the commands which we did not have before. Yeah, and it you know the the temptation is to try to obey the commands in your own strength, which you cannot do. You have to learn how to trust the Lord to obey which I find very hard to wrap my mind around how to do that, you know. And it's basically I read something in the Bible and say, okay, it says to do that. That means he wants me to do that. Okay. Okay, Lord, let's do it. <laughs> you know, and he has to empower me, and he will do that. Yeah. So section B is Paul's attention. So can I get somebody to read that? That's three through eight. It's a very long passage. Oh, okay. 
Thank you, ma'am. So, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Who do you thank God for? Paul was thanking God for the Philippians. Who do you thank God for? Okay, your parents? Yes. Yes. So, we have a thankfulness for Jesus. I think that's very appropriate. And your parents? Yeah, I am very thankful for my church fellows. Very thankful for my church fellows. You know, I think of my mother who told me Jesus loved me more than she did when I was little, which I was, thought was mind-blowing. You know, I have I had a discipler who scraped me up off the floor a long time ago and uh, helped, taught me for two years. And uh, so I'm very thankful for him. Excuse me. Yeah, a lot of people. I was 36 when I was scraped up. Yes, I was 36 then. So that was when I decided to be a disciple, when I was 36. Yeah. I decided that not being a disciple was too damaging to me and everybody I touched. <laughs> me and everybody I touched. Yes, it was too damaging. Well, God bless you, ma'am. Praise the Lord. So verse 4 Always offering prayer with joy. This is the first time joy is used in my every prayer for you all. So Paul frequently prayed for the Philippian believers. Yeah, verse 4, this is from the quarterly. Verse 4 is the first time Paul spoke of joy. This fruit of the Spirit would become a major theme of this letter, that life in Christ is a life of joy. In fact, this feature distinguishes the letter to the Philippians from all his other epistles. Sixteen times Paul used the noun or verbal form of the Greek word for joy in this letter to the Philippians. So this teaches us how to live in joy, this book. Yeah, and living in joy makes you feel a lot better, doesn't it? A lot better. So now the Philippians were not without their troubles, so Philippians 4, verses 2, to, there, there was uh, some conflict going on. Paul says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. So they were not living in harmony. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. So they were disciples together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So there was some disunity in the church that Paul was addressing. Here, you know, thankfully, our church has a strong prayer ministry. You know, we've, ever since I've been here, we've had a prayer meeting every Wednesday. We have quarterly concerts of prayer. Um, we have a strong prayer presence, I guess, and I, you know, because there are two things that the Lord will honor. Prayer is one. Prayer is one thing the Lord will honor. Prayer in his will. The other thing is the proclamation of his word. Accurately, carefully. 
His word will not return void. Those are the only two things that you can count on in a ministry setting, is God's word and prayer. And so we have to be involved in those things. But these uh, Philippians had continued to grow spiritually from the time they believed until now. And, you know, that is the Lord's will for us. And John, in his gospel, in his, the purpose statement of his gospel, he tells that this will. He says, uh, this is John verse 20, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe, that's number one, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That is salvation. And that believing, you may have life in his name. That is spiritual growth or discipleship. The believing. You believe. You're born again. You continue to believe. You read the Bible. All of a sudden, the Bible makes sense to you. It doesn't make sense to an unbeliever. And you say, oh, you know, and it tells you what to do. You say, oh, okay. And, uh, and you say, okay. And that is spiritual growth when you say, okay. And the Lord empowers you to do it. So we believe, and then we continue believing. And that is how we grow. That's what he says, right, in the, uh, the vine and the branches passage. He says, if you abide in me, you will create much fruit, fruit that will last. It will last because you haven't done it. The Lord did it through you. And so that fruit will last. You know, it makes me think of George Mueller. He, he was such a great example. You know, he prayed for people all his life to be saved. And, and some of them were saved after his death. <laughs> And that's just what you're talking about, right? That same sort of thing, yeah. So when you have fruit that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, it is eternal. It lasts. Yeah, the the works that you do empowered by the Holy Spirit last. It, it partly is the grapes and partly is the raisins that are dried afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So verse 6 is a wonderful uh, a wonderful promise, you know. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So this growth comes through submission. Yeah, so, so back to the lesson. Love is never wrong. So we want to cooperate with the Lord. We want to cooperate with the Lord in verse 6, and that is what the author to the Hebrews was telling them. It says, for everyone who partakes only of milk, so very superficial, is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. You know, when you're an infant in Christ, you're just saved, right? You don't understand anything, really. But solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, Okay, so as you're an, you're an infant, you begin to learn things, you begin to read the Bible, you understand what the Lord would like from you. 
and you practice doing those things. And when you do that, you have your senses trained to discern good and evil. So your discernment becomes more acute. When you, and this has to do not with our glorification. It does not have to do with our justification. That is something that God alone does. But it does have to do with our reward. Our reward. We will all be before the judgment seat of Christ very shortly after the rapture. And um, he will judge our works, which are basically our submission to him in this life. And this is what John writes about in Second John, and it's in relation to false teachers. He says, "For me, this is John seven, Second John seven, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, this is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves. This is the believer, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward." Okay, so for the believer, it is possible to lose what they've accomplished if you fall back into sin. And we all sin sometimes. We cannot become sinless, but we can sin less than we did before. And that is the goal. So verse 7, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel you are all partakers of grace with me. So we all share in this limitless grace if we are in Christ. And for God is my witness, how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That word affection in the Greek is splekna, which means guts. <laughs> You know, Karen Armstrong, who used to go to this church when she'll send you a card, she'll end it with, love your guts. <laughs> it makes me think of this, you know. Verse 8, the verse. Yes. No. Chapter 1, verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8, he says, how I long for you with all the affection. Affection translates the Greek word splegna, which is your insides. So he is loving them from the inside. He's loving them from his guts. <laughs> have you ever felt that before? Yeah, I have. I have. You know, love someone from me. I love my wife that way. Yeah. I love her from my guts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's the more common one, right? I hate, I hate your guts. So, yeah, so Karen Armstrong, God bless her, she always says, love your guts. <laughs> it's hilarious. Oh, gosh. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can't end quite yet. All right. So section C is Paul's prayer, verse 9 through 11. For God is my witness, how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, 
having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, verse 9a, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more, that you will progressively be sanctified. That's what that is. Your love will abound more and more. 9b, in real knowledge, a thirst for an understanding of God's word. Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You need knowledge of that. 9c, discernment. She names it. I know. I don't care. I'm going to finish this. Discernment. God's word will teach not only what to accept, but what to reject. Okay? Verse 10a, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Approve what is excellent. After exercising discernment, then do what is good. 10b, to be sincere and blameless. We want a, a favorable ruling at the Bema Seat judgment. The Bema Seat. We want to be well rewarded. What is the Bema Seat? The Bema Seat is 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15, which I don't have time to read. But we will. it talks about fire. The person does not enter the fire. Their works enter the fire. What survives? You get you get to keep. What survives is your reward, and that is what's done out of faith. What you do because the Lord has told you to do it, that will survive. And then... Right. And so the day of Christ to the church is the rapture. That's when he will appear to us in the clouds. So having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we want to produce or bear the fruit of the Spirit. Yes. Okay, I'm done with this. Amen. Up 